The Gospel according to Luke, chapter 1, when you have an opportunity, I encourage you to read it in its entirety. We're going to skip around a bit, reading first, verses 5 through 13. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly order of Abijah. His wife was a descendant of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord, but they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and both were getting on in years. Once when he was serving as a priest before God and his section was on duty, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and offer incense. Now at the time of the incense offering, the whole assembly of people was praying outside. Then there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was terrified and fear overwhelmed him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zachariah, as if that's ever helped. For your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you will name him John. Verses 18 through 25. Zachariah said to the angel, how will I know that this is so? For I am an old man and my wife is getting on in years. And the angel replied, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you to bring you this good news. But now, because you did not believe my words, hmm, which will be fulfilled in their time, you will become mute, unable to speak until the day these things occur. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondered at, this, at his delay in the sanctuary, and when he did not come out, he could not speak to them and remained unable to speak even though he had seen a vision. And when his time of service had ended, he went to his home. After those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she remained in seclusion, and she said, this is what the Lord has done for me when he looked favorably on me and took away the disgrace I have endured among my people. Verses 26 through 28 and verse 36. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged, to a man whose name was Joseph in the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. We're going to read a few more verses but I'm about to pull it up in another level. This is a moment where my mama would tell me, that's why you need to bring a real Bible to to church. (laughs) We're going to read the end of Luke. So we go to Luke 1. All right. Now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son. And when her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. 
And so it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him by his name of his father, Zacharias. His mother answered and said, No, he shall be called John. But they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by this name. So they made signs to his father what he would have called him, or what he would have him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. So they all marveled. Immediately his mouth was open and his tongue was loose, and he spoke, praising God. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. She who was said to be barren has conceived. Let's bow forward a prayer. See, a lot of things, but we're only going to deal with three because I promise you I was not going to preach a Baptist preacher's sermon. We're going to look at three things that I believe is extracted from the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah that can help us guard our hope. The first thing I think we see in this passage that can help us is that they teach us that we must challenge the false narratives that we have internalized. We must challenge the false narratives that we have internalized. Bell Hooks, black feminist, wrote this book called Rock My Soul. And in it she says that people of color in particular have spent a lot of time fighting, fighting for um, equality, like equality in schools and equality in pay. And she says all of those things are great. We need to keep fighting for those things. But we maybe have not spent as much time paying attention to what this thing has done on the inside to what it's done to our self-esteem. And I would assert that that's true for all of us, that all of us have internalized a false narrative. The narrative of superiority is just as false as a narrative of inferiority. And so we must spend time extracting, deconstructing, and rejecting a false narrative in order to make space for another. Now, Elizabeth, y'all, had lived her entire adult life under the name of barren. Can't you see it? Can't you hear it? That people would actually distinguish her, all the Elizabeths that was probably in the town, right? No, Elizabeth, you know, the one that's barren. It became like a part of her name. It was her story. It defined her. It was what she said. God has taken away my shame and my disgrace. She wore it. Now, she spent five months, five months in seclusion. Now, I don't know what she did in these five months, but I can imagine that was a good little break from all the microaggressions that she experienced day in and day out as a woman who was not considered a full woman simply because she had not given birth to a child. She needed time away to reject this false narrative, in order to embrace a narrative, a name, an identity that she never thought she would ever have, that of mother. Now in psychology, we have this concept called a self-fulfilling prophecy. And the idea of a self-fulfilling prophecy is that if I believe myself to be something, right, I am abandoned, I am rejected, then I can unconsciously act in ways that recreates that reality. Right? So this is why we often see people who are in abusive relationships return to abusive relationships because it's their norm, it is their reality, and so they continuously walk this path because they understand that they don't know this. So even though a new narrative may be better, sometimes it's hard to walk away from the old narrative 
because that's our norm. We get that. We don't get this. So it makes sense to me that Elizabeth needed some time away. We have got to know when we need time away. You have got to know when you need to go see a counselor. When you need to take a sabbatical. We need to be having healthy, regular Sabbath, y'all. We need time away from the spaces that continuously perpetuates negative and, and false narratives so that we can debunk them internally before we re-enter those spaces. She spent five months away. She needed to wrap her head around being a mother, something she never expected to be. Now, the good news for us comes through the voice of Richard Rohr, who says that faith is his own self-fulfilling prophecy, in that faith is constantly creating what it desires. Take the time. Do the work. And this is a time of waiting in Advent. We might can take some time to release the false narrative and embrace a new one. The second thing I think this passage teaches us about guarding our hope is it challenges us to give voice to the voiceless, to give voice to the voiceless, to give voice specifically to the people, not only that this world has silenced, but often that we as the church have silenced. A girlfriend of mine preached this passage in California. Sister is amazing, Yushan, and she said in her sermon that she found it very interesting that Zachariah could not get his voice back until he affirmed the voice of Elizabeth. Mm-hmm, yeah, the women smile. Y'all still, still trying to catch up with that. That he had to affirm her voice before he could get his back. There's a man in, in L.A. by the name of Ron Finley. You guys can look him up. He's, um, he did a TED Talk not too long ago, a couple of years ago. And he is from South Central L.A., and he calls himself the gangster gardener. And he says, you know, I am from the home of the drive-through and the drive-by. He said, but the drive-throughs are killing more people than the drive-bys. He says, why? Because people are dying from preventable diseases because they, are, they don't have access to healthy nutrition. He says, I live 45 minutes away from the nearest grocery store, even though there are all these vacant lots all throughout South Central. He had to drive 45 minutes to get to fresh food. The obesity rate in his zip code was five times higher than Beverly Hills, which was just a couple of blocks down the road. Food deserts. Now, Ron Finley said enough. He started growing gardens in that little patch of grass between the sidewalk and the street. Between the sidewalk and the street, y'all, this brother was growing vegetables, kale, tomatoes, collard greens. And he started teaching other people how to grow gardens, even though they had to travel so far so that they could eat right out of their own backyard, right out of their sidewalk. Did they get on him? Yes, they got on him. He had a whole lot of fighting. He's been in a lot of fights since then in order to um, keep what he is offering to his community. But here's my point. This brother is not a botanist. He's not even a farmer, right? 
He does not care about people's sensibilities. He don't care about your sensibilities. He is raw, he is real, and he is in your face. And he is somebody that people can easily dismiss, and yet he is the one who was able to speak a word and do an action that brought forth life in his community. It was unorthodox. He is unorthodox, but he was the one to do it. Y'all, Zechariah was met in this temple by an angel who told him that his son's name was, would be John. But it wasn't Zechariah who demanded that his name would be John. It was Elizabeth who was not in that temple. How did she know? How did she know his name is supposed to be John? Something happened in those five months. Right? And this unorthodox name, John, which means God has shown favor and is gracious. In this moment, in this unorthodox name, literally God is re-narrating their story. He is changing it from one of disgrace, a disgrace that Elizabeth largely held, even though it could have been something in Zachariah's body that kept him from having a baby. I'm just saying. He changed their narrative to one that says, you are the epitome, you are the reflection, you are the walking testimony that I am gracious and I show favor. He changed their narrative through this unorthodox name. Y'all, people who are among us who hold multiple levels of marginalizations, people who are seen the least, whether it's race or gender or sexuality or whether it is disability or differently abled people or whether it's even the most vulnerable among us, our children or those who are impoverished. These are people in our communities who have an experience and a viewpoint unlike our own. They are the ones who can speak from the wellspring of their pain and their experience an unorthodox reality, but a real one. They can speak into our lives in a way that restores our hope because we can't see what they can't see. We must make space and we must encourage and affirm the voices that this world and even our church is tending to silence. Not just for their sake but for hours. Final thing I believe this passage teaches us about guarding our hope is that it calls us to yield to the impossibility of the inevitable. Yield to the impossibility of the inevitable. Several years ago, HBO came out with um, a movie called Boycott, and it's on the Montgomery bus boycott. And there's a scene in that movie where Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., young Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who's in jail for the first time, is sitting in his cell with his head down um, in his hands, and he is having a conversation with Martin Luther King Jr., the veteran who has been in prison or in jail many times. And the veteran says to the first-timer, he says, you have not yielded to the impossibility of the inevitable. Give me a few minutes. Let me flesh this thing out for you. Because you're like, Donna, I don't know where you're going with this. There is a fable by Aesop called The Tortoise and the Hare. Y'all have heard The Tortoise and the Hare. For those of you who haven't, here's a brief synopsis. The, the hare is in the forest, and he is very arrogant, he is very bold, and he is very fast. And he challenges any animal in the forest who has enough courage to race him. 
so that he can show just how fast he is. To his surprise, the tortoise, the slowest animal in the forest, steps up and takes his challenge. Now, I want you to imagine for just a moment, use your holy, sanctified imagination for just a minute, that this tortoise is approaching this line and he is hearing the hysterical laughs of all the animals in the forest, an impossible race to win. And I can imagine that this tortoise is actually saying in his head, why is the author of this story making me walk up to the line in order to, to um, run a race that is impossible? I have never won a race in my life. It is impossible. But what he does not realize is the same author that has him starting this race. It's the same author that has him winning that race at the end. Now, if this is based solely on his, his um, ability alone, this is an impossible race to win. But the author of the story has a certain level of autonomy to be able to shift and move dynamics and themes and perceptions beyond the tortoise's ability in order to make a very real impossibility possible. And if the end of the story has him winning, though it is impossible here, it is inevitable that he must win at the end. He has not yielded to the impossibility of the inevitable. Now, y'all, I don't profess to know the mysteries of theodicy. But I do believe that though we are subjected to the pain of this world, we are being called daily to always submit ourselves to the author and the finisher of our faith. Who is writing your story? Whose story are you living in. Now, I am committed to living inside and through the story that God has written me, written for me. And I'm saying that I'm willing to take anybody along with me who wants to go for the ride. That's called discipleship. The angel comes to Zechariah, and the angel says to Zechariah, this thing will happen. Thank God that our lack of hope does not mean it's the end. He says, this thing will happen. Thank God that Elizabeth was doing something back there behind closed doors that still brought forth this promise, right? Thank God that somebody else is praying when we stop praying. Somebody else is hoping when we stop hoping. Somebody else is telling you that's not your story when you have believed that it is. The the angel comes to Mary and the angel says, nothing will be impossible. Nothing as in ever. Y'all, this thing means that we must hold and guard our hope, that we must believe in God's story for us no matter what. It is not seeing the way out. This is not about seeing the way out. This is believing to the point of knowing that there always is a way out. She who was said to be barren has conceived. That means that whoever said she was barren wasn't God. And if you don't remember anything else about this sermon, I want you to remember that.
Take a moment. And I want you to get in your mind that thing that you stopped hoping for. Get that relationship, that person, that situation that you stopped praying about. Bring it up in your mind right now. The thing that you stopped waiting for because waiting was too hard, hope felt too cruel. Let's bow our heads and I want you to just think about that thing, that person, that relationship you just never think will end, will never be the same, can never be transformed. That person you believe can never be restored. That part of you that can never be healed. Allow yourself to go there, even though you maybe haven't gone there in a very long time. You're in community. You are in the presence of God, and you are in the presence of people who love you. You are safe. And now that you're holding it, you're seeing it, you're feeling it, hear these words. God of all power and might, God who makes the impossible possible, God who is everywhere at once, God who sees us and knows us, who loved us and formed us, God who, for whom it is impossible to fail, God who always brings forth your promises. God, we call upon you as our creator and as our father, as our mother and as our friend. We call upon your power and upon your glory as we wait. God, we call upon you to touch very gently those people, those relationships, those things, those promises that we have laid to the wayside. God, we ask in this moment that you pick them up and you hold them and you stroke them. God, we pray that where that light has gone dim in this area of our life, God, that your light will pour through and that it will illuminate resurging and renewing our hope. God, that you will remind us that you invite us to be participants with you in this thing. And that if we have lost our hope, then that means that our faith has stopped trying to create what it desires. So God, renew our desire, renew our expectation, renew our hope over the promise you have given. Give us words of prayer again that our relationships might be restored. Words of prayer again, that our bodies and our minds and our spirits might be healed. Give us words of prayer again, God, that we will not always be struggling in every way and in every um, area of our life. Give us hope, almighty God, and prayer again, God, that justice will be seen in the land of the living. Give us words of prayer, oh God, of expectation that we may come back to the place of waiting. That we may cling to the people around us. That we may have courage to lift up the voices that have been silenced. That we will proclaim loudly that our story is written by you and nobody else. And that we might yield to the impossibility of the inevitable. For Almighty God, the arc of the universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Let us do our part, renew our hope. Give us what we need, because you, God, are faithful. And we in this place are now ever so careful to give your name the praise. So loose our tongues, 
loose our spirits, loose our bodies and our minds from the clutches of lies, that we may live, breathe, and embody your truth, that we may walk in the narrative and the story that is ours, that's yours, and that we may bring everybody who wants to come along with us by our sides. In the name of he who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.